just strengthened and grown spiritually during this time. Um, in that, we have one more week. We have one more week, and as you know, next week will be our Family and Friends Sunday, so we're going to have so many people we pray that we invite just to be here, and we're going to fellowship, we're going to sup together just um, to celebrate the ending of our fast. So as we've been going through this fast, though, we've also um, simultaneously been talking about what grow, growth means as a believer. We've been talking about how we can grow spiritually, individually, but also collectively as the body of believers. And so today's sermon has an interesting title. It is called Meat and Maturity, Meat and Maturity. And as you know, we've been working around these things regarding growth. But I think the most common thing, if we would all agree, that we've seen throughout all of this has been this theme of food, this analogy to food that we see about how food makes one grow. If you remember, we read in First Peter where he admonished the readers to long for the pure and spiritual milk, which he says comes from God and how it would cause growth in the life of the Christian. Last week, we were challenged to grow by acknowledging that in our lives, there has been a great exchange made, which ultimately that is that Christ exchanged his life for ours. In that, that also means that there are exchanges that we have to make. Most importantly, we are exchanging what we were, who we were, for who God wants us to be, conforming us into his image. And so now we want to look at a rather complex topic as we look at how we have to grow from just a surface level understanding of our relationship and our walk with God and actually move toward real maturity in Christ. Maturity, we're going to learn from the writer, is a matter in developing a deeper awareness of who God is. Listen, I realize that some of us may feel like in my walk, I'm doing just fine. Brandon, I, I'm mature. I've been saved for a number of years and I have excelled and I've grown to the place that I need to be. But I do want to alert you that status quo doesn't really work in our relationship with Christ. And so what we want to do today, and I hope that this sermon helps, is see what God actually requires of us, where he actually requires us to be, and understanding why we have to move out of the shallow waters in our relationship with God. So if you would, go with me to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be in verse number 11. Hebrews 5 and 11. It says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. 
For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Let's pray. Lord, just as we um, prepare to dive into the word of God, Lord, I pray that you would be ever present with us, God, that you would show us yourself, that you would reveal yourself to us, God, and show us all the depth of a relationship with you, God. Let us not be content being the simple minded, being those who are bottle fed, but God, let us move on to meat and let us move on to maturity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, one of the most difficult things for any Christian to acknowledge is that we have not just been called to be believers, but we have been called to be believers who are mature in our walk with Christ. Now, unfortunately, sometimes people think that this is reserved only for those of us who are in the pulpit. They think that's just for the people who preach, that's just for the people who sing. Anybody with a mic, that's who needs to be mature. But the call for maturity in Christ is for every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian. Now, the reality is that we all come across a great deal of people who may profess Christianity, but we always have probably noticed a great amount of them also lack the maturity they need in order to demonstrate a faith that someone else can actually identify as healthy. The Hebrew writer here who is unknown is expressing some frustration to the people to which he is writing because it appears that they have not grown at the rate nor to the level that he had expected them to grow. And so he begins by acknowledging here a very crucial point that I would like to stress to you and help you understand that you can see that this is important for all members of the body to grow. It is essential that every member of the body be growing, but growing to maturity. He says first, for many of you, you should have been teachers by now, but you still need to be taught. Now, let me give you some context on the word that he actually uses here, because when we look at this, we just think maybe a school teacher, maybe just a teacher in general. But the word that's used in the Greek is a little bit different. It's a word known as didaskalos, and it means those who are qualified to teach. And so let's think about what he's actually saying here. He's saying these are men that I expected at this point to have matured to a place where they were teachers, they were leaders, they were elders in the church. Yet because of their immaturity, they still need to be taught. And so we need to understand why it's important that they haven't matured to be teachers yet. I mean, let's think about it. If you go into a classroom expecting the adult that you left in charge to teach the children to actually be teaching them only to find them sitting in a desk among the students, you would wonder what have these children learned if the person who should have been teaching them is also a student themselves. As a result of the teacher not being where they should be, then the students now aren't where they should be either. 
There is, there is the source for distress here by the Hebrew writer. The people who should have been growing up and maturing were still trying to grasp the elementary things of the faith. This is not a matter of years. This is a matter of growth. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You can be saved a long time and still be immature. You can be a fully grown adult and still be a child in your mind. And so what he is admonishing them is, I left you thinking you would have grown by now. But unfortunately, I've come back to realize that you still haven't even grasped the elementary things of the faith. Now, I want to make this clear because this is one of those things that I have struggled with in my own faith when I come across immature believers. There's this part of me that thinks, well, maybe they don't have the intellectual capacity to grow in Christ. But then I also remember this is the same gospel that a child can grasp. And so the Hebrew writer here is not saying that their lack of growth is a matter of them not being able to comprehend. He says the reason you haven't grown is simple. You're lazy. It's like, dang, all right, that's, he puts it pretty pointedly. You haven't grown because you don't want to grow. It was a matter of them settling where they were comfortable and being content in that space alone. They did not want to challenge their faith. They did not want to stretch beyond themselves. They didn't want to go places that they were unsure that their faith could hold them. And so instead of challenging themselves in a way that they could grow, they were content. And there is a direct connection to fervency in your walk and spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is akin to an 18-year-old acting like a 12-year-old. At 18, you expect to be teaching a person how to be independent, how to be responsible. You're not expecting to teach them how to sit down at a table or how to clean up after themselves. Now, in the case of Christianity, what is the sign of immaturity as a believer? Well, I think we have some good sources on that. This text and another by Paul gives us a clue. First, this one says that immaturity means that you are unskilled in the word of righteousness and you are not always able to distinguish between what is good and what is bad. In other words, the writer here is saying, you're a child. Young children cannot tell the difference between good and evil the way an adult does. That is the one thing that makes them so beautifully innocent and why Jesus cared so much about the children. Because they didn't have the, the ability like we do to distinguish all evil from all bad and good. They may know right from wrong in a general sense, but they can easily get confused that something like candy from a person in a white van is not a good deed. Because the more you grow, the more intricate you realize evil really is. The more you grow, the more you realize things aren't as black and white as they appear when you're a child. 
And that is the one thing that we see that they have to wrestle with. They aren't mature enough to discern what is right and wrong and why what is wrong is wrong. Not only that, but because of this, they need all this special extra care, which takes a lot of time when you're a parent. I know I've got a lot of children who need a lot of extra care to make sure they don't put stuff in their mouth that they shouldn't or put their hands on the stove or dunk another child's head in the toilet. Like you got to make sure things you don't have to worry about when a child grows up. You waste a lot of time worrying about when they're immature. And so Paul also sees some deficiencies in immature Christians that we need to look at as well. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in the very first verse, he says, But I, brothers, I couldn't even address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And so if you don't even realize the depth of where this goes, they were having an argument about who was more influential to them. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? And then you got the holiest people say, well, Jesus has influenced me the most. And so Paul writes this letter. He's like, are you seriously having a conversation about who had more influence? There are people dying in the world and you are arguing among one another. What a sign of immaturity. And look what he calls them. This is not a term of endearment. He says, you are infants in Christ. That's not a good thing. The evidence here of a lack of spiritual maturity is senseless strife and disagreements, jealousy, instability in your life, discord, dissension, and an inability to see clearly right from wrong, good from evil. And just like a house of rambunctious children, you spend most of your time trying to keep them from hurting each other, but you don't get a lot of time in investing in their growth. Unfortunately, y'all, this is the same with a church full of immature believers. You spend so much time trying to grow them and mature them and help them see the basis of the faith that you can't even send them out in the world to be ambassadors of Christ because they are infantile spiritually. Immaturity in the church hinders what the church can be and do. How does this affect us? It's because when you are immature, your perspective is warped. I remember as a child, there were things I thought life was so much easier, life was so much better. And then I grew up and I realized, no, I just had a warped perspective of reality. I didn't realize that somebody was paying the bills for my lights to be on. I didn't realize that that food cost somebody. But then I became an adult. And as you grow, as you mature, you see a little bit differently than you did before. Unfortunately, there are lots of us who are still looking at life like that little child, not realizing the depth that this walk really requires of us. 
I probably saw this most clearly this past Tuesday when we had middle and high schoolers celebrating Valentine's Day, which annoys me so much. They were all so lovey-dovey, and we warned them about PDA and all this stuff, and I realized for them, like, Valentine's Day is the height of their relationship. Like, some of them literally would get booed up just for Valentine's Day so they can have somebody. They just want the feels of that day. And when you're a kid, love is that simple. It's just feels. What do you feel? You're always in the clouds. You always want the butterflies. And the second you don't feel the clouds or you don't feel the butterflies anymore, you deduce, well, this relationship is over and you go on looking for more butterflies. But then, hopefully, if you grow up, when you experience real grown love, you know that the butterflies are replaced with something more stable, something more practical, something more secure. And what used to be based on feelings now becomes on a deep knowledge and devotion that you could never experience as a child. And when you're immature, you love in a way that love only serves you. But once you mature, once you grow up, you think about how much more you can love others by serving them. Immaturity in the faith, y'all, only wants to be served. Immature believers only want to be pleased. They only want to be comforted. They only want to be affirmed. They only want to be prosperous. Do you remember the episode in the Bible when the disciples were being immature? There were several. Jesus would get so frustrated with them because the more immature they were, the more he had to stop and teach them. And the more he was teaching them, the less he was teaching other people. It is the pivotal moment when James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, all right, listen, when you get into your kingdom, I just have one request. Can my children sit on your right and your left. Like, I mean, I know that's asking a lot, but when you get into your kingdom, can, can my sons be like the higher ranking of all the disciples? I mean, y'all, we are talking about Jesus saving sinners, about him giving up his life, about the restoration of all things, and they were asking about their ranking in the kingdom. But you know, Jesus' response actually tells us a whole lot. When this request is made, he says, okay, but before I answer that, I have a question for you. He says, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? Can you be baptized with the baptism of which I'm going to be baptized? Erroneously and foolishly, they looked at him and said, yes not knowing that that meant suffering, persecution, ridicule, death, the full wrath of God being poured out on them. And while Jesus drank the full cup, they did take a sip, but they did not come close to enduring what he had to endure. But then he says something odd to them. He says, it is the wicked who lord over others. 
It is the immature who want to be served. But if you want to be great, then you must be a servant. If you want to be somebody, then you must be a slave. (laughs) Because not even the son of man came to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, y'all, I know you're going to hate when I say this. But he is saying that the greatest sign of our maturity is our conformity to Christ. That's it. The greatest sign that you are a Christian is not that you are growing in pride, in stature, but that you are shrinking in yourself. That you are growing in humility and a humility that doesn't remind other people of how humble you are. Real, genuine humility that submits itself to all. He is saying that the greatest in this kingdom are those who are willing to look beyond themselves, those who are willing to lay their own lives and interests aside, those who are not worried or bogged down with the finite things that the world is worried about. The Christians don't care about what they're wearing. They don't care what they drink. They don't care what they eat. They don't even care where they sleep. If you are a mature Christian, you know those things are going to be taken care of. What does Jesus say? The folks who don't know me worry about that stuff. They're bogged down by it and their whole life is dedicated to that. But for those who know me will faithfully pursue me and my kingdom. Those who know me do the work of the kingdom. You know, the Hebrew writer says something interesting in 6.1 that actually seems to contradict what he said in 5.12. And I was purposely trying to frame it this way so you could see it. First, he says, you need to be taught the basics. But then he says, but let us leave the elementary doctrine. (laughs) Well, what is it you want, mysterious Hebrew writer? Do you want us to go back to the basics or do you want us to leave them? But this is what I believe he's saying. He's saying you should have already grasped the basics, but since you haven't, here they are. Here are the basics again, but we got to move on. We got to get past the basics. We got to grow up. You should have been past this, but since you aren't, Let me reaffirm where they are so we can get going where we need to go. We need to get beyond just the elementary teachings. Look at what he says, though, the elementary teachings are. This is going to be really important. He says the elementary teachings are repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. What is he saying are the basics of our faith? The gospel. He's like, you're a Christian. You should know the gospel. You should have grasped the gospel. 
If nothing else, you can communicate the gospel. You know the gospel. You know the way you've been saved. You can go share that with other people. And what he has realized is you don't even know the basics. You don't even know the gospel. You can't even communicate the gospel or that's all you can do. He is saying that we need to leave behind the fundamentals. Now, let's be clear, because I don't want you to misinterpret this. He is not saying that we need to forget the fundamentals. That's not the case. Look at what he says to understand what the fundamentals actually do. He says, not laying again the foundation. That's a really important term there. Let's think about this. If a person came to you and said, you should really see this house that I built. Like, it's spectacular. It's a beautiful house. I want you to come visit. I want you to come check it out. It's a beautiful house. It's got so much room, so much space. And then if you get there and you see all they have done is built the foundation over and over and over and over again. You would say, okay, you know how to lay some foundation, but you don't know how to build no house. This is not a house. You would say, what have you been doing? I've been laying foundation. You ain't got no rooms. You don't have any, you know, intense architecture. This requires nothing. The complexity of design that is required to build a house is different than laying the foundation. And so the Hebrews writer point here is the foundation is needed. But you got to build a house. You got to grow up. Once believers understand that the foundation of the gospel has been laid, let us go on to maturity. Let us get past the simple. Let us rethink, y'all, what we think about critical issues regarding the Bible and regarding life. Let us rethink what we think about life. Let us rethink what we think about politics, about race, about family, about government, about creation, about eternity, about justice. We have the elementary foundation, but if we're going to be effective in the world, then we must press on to maturity. But then he writes perhaps the most mature thing in this text. And if you don't get anything, and of course I want you to get everything, but if you don't get anything else, this is the thing that you need to get. After all of this, after calling for us to all come to maturity, he says, and this we will do. If God permits. Now, wait a minute, Hebrew writer. You have called me to grow up. You've called me to leave the elementary doctrine behind. You have called me to go on to maturity. And then you say that if God permits. Why doesn't he just say, and this we will do. Because that kind of presumptuous attitude is not found in those who deeply know the Lord. I never understood until recently why older, more seasoned believers would always say, Lord willing. 
But I've learned, I've experienced, I've grown. What a dangerous presumption for me to make any plans in my future and think that I can get there outside of the will of God. That's the same thing the Hebrew writer is saying here. I want you to grow. But I know all growth is subject to him who works and wills his good pleasure in us. Y'all, that's a beautiful paradox. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God. <laughs> who works and wills his good pleasure in you. Who's working it out? We are. We are. I am not growing into maturity apart from my own works and effort, but most importantly, I'm not growing apart from the will of God. And if he permits... We will mature. But it will only be so that we can submit that our growth, our sanctification is understood to be all of grace. Y'all, none of us is responsible for who we are in the terms of where we were born, when we were born. Every single one of us was born against our will. But there is a sovereign God, a sovereign Lord to whom we must submit. Do we take part in our sanctification? Yeah, we do. But it also takes us individually cultivating an appetite for meat. That's what it takes. It's always interesting to me, especially when we have little kids like we do, when you have children and they are in that phase where they're kind of going from a bottle to going to food. And I'll be honest, in a lot of ways, it's kind of easier just to give them a bottle. Because at that point, they can walk, they can communicate a little bit, but most important, they can grasp the bottle themselves. So it's a matter of pouring some milk, handing them the bottle. And, they, and they're good. They, they just go. But then you start to realize they're getting content with just being able to walk around with a bottle. And what used to be good for them is not as good for them as it should be. And let's be honest, given a child that is maturing food, it gets real messy at times. And a lot of times you think, you know, you got to chew this food, you might choke on it. It might be too much for you to handle. You got to figure out what you like. I, I would, it would be easier for me just to give you milk. Because giving you meat, giving you more food for your maturity requires a little bit more of me as well. But the problem is, is that milk that once helped them grow starts to hinder their growth. And while it may be easier just to give them milk, is not what's going to actually help them grow. And I, I think one of the things that I've had to realize is that as one of the elders in this church and the pastor in this church is, 
it would be easier a lot of times for me not to preach sermons about meat and maturity. In a lot of ways, we could fill the church up if we kept it simple. But God has required so much more of us. He has required of us to have deeper roots than that. I mean, you know it. The trees that get easily blown over by every wind of doctrine don't have deep roots. So while it may take more work and more effort for us to grow, it's because we are putting our roots deeply into the foundation of our faith. And so I want my challenge to be clear to everyone. You know, it's not just us up here who are called to be mature. It's not just us who are called to grow. And so my challenge for you, especially since we only have a week left in the fast, instead of picking the remote back up, put it back down. Instead of picking the phone back up, put it down. Put the computer away. Open a book, open your Bible, listen to some sermons, don't even have to be mine. Get beyond the elementary doctrines. Start building on top of the foundation that was laid. Move beyond the elementary. Challenge yourself in your walk. Stop settling for mediocrity in your walk with Christ. And if God permits, you will grow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for this word. Um, perhaps it was challenging for some. Um, it was challenging even for me, God, to understand and grasp that you have called us beyond ourselves. You have called us to so much more, Lord. And in a lot of ways, it is easier for us to just grab the milk of, of the word, the milk of life. It is easier for us to just rest and relax on our laurels, God. But the truth is that you have called us beyond that. You've called us beyond that, God. Lord, there are so many dynamics of this that we have to realize. One, we realize that the sign of our immaturity is, is falling into things that are sinful that we didn't even know were sinful. It's not realizing and discerning the good from the evil. It's about having our eye level too low and getting too concerned about things that don't matter. What our ranking in the kingdom is, who likes us, who doesn't like us, who speaks to us, who doesn't speak to us, God. Those are things children worry about. But let us model our lives after you. Having been filled with the Spirit, which while being beaten, abused, mocked, you were interceding for the very people who hated you. God, I may not be able to drink from that cup, but Lord, at least let us sip. Let us have the same humility, the same mind that you had in us. You are our greatest example of maturity. And there is no greater maturity that we will have than if we conform ourselves to the image of Christ. And we can only do this according to your will. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.